0: Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. Now in the beginning, in the beginning of 21, we're actually at the last few verses here. uh, We covered the messianic triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus comes into Jerusalem, presents himself as the Messiah. Now we covered these time uh, sensitive prophecies. Prophecies where God says this will happen. Well, he can speak forthrightly. This is what I want. This is the way things are. He also can speak in the future with incredible detail, and these things will come to pass perfectly. And if God really sends a man or a woman to, uh, to speak forth his truths, what they say must come to pass 100% of the time because God can see everything. So we covered three time-sensitive prophecies in the midst of other prophecies uh, about the sliver of, of, of time in human history that the Messiah could actually come to the earth. So there was a lot of meat in last Sunday's message and I would encourage you if you didn't get it especially if you're one of those people that says prove it to me well I'm here at the church a friend kinda dragged me over here I figured I'd check it out Um, but I'm not really sold get last Sunday's message you can get it free off the internet if you're a prove it to me person I challenge you to listen to that sermon to go into detail we covered history we covered Bible prophecy we see how they merge together how they coincide and um, you still may not be ready spiritually but there's no way that you can come out listening to last Sunday's sermon and say, I don't believe it. It's just not possible. And come see me and we can have a further discussion if that's the case. Uh, we did cover Daniel chapter 9. We spoke about the calculation to the day that the uh, Persians would let the Jews go back and rebuild Jerusalem. God prophesied this many years before it happened. Uh, under Artaxerxes Longimanus, he gave the decree, the Jews go back to rebuild Jerusalem. Uh, 69 weeks or 483 years a a good observant Jew could count the literal days, years to the point where, where the Messiah would arrive so from that command to the Messiah would be 69 weeks or 483 years that's why everyone was so excited when Jesus came into Jerusalem because good observant Jews said yeah, I'm looking at the prophecy written before it actually happened and today's the day now after that, that week or that few days uh... I'm talking about little, literal week, let the Shabu aside for a moment. What happened was the Messiah was cut off. Daniel said the Messiah would be killed, but not for himself, because Jesus didn't sin. He was killed because of our sins. And that's just awesome to me, because he thought of me all those years ago, knew that I would be born, knew that I would have a unique soul, a unique spirit inside of me knew that I would sin and knew that I couldn't get into the kingdom unless he died for my sins. So Jesus did that for me as an individual as well, of, as, well as all of you here. You just have, a, have to accept that, that he did that for you. The desire now for us is when we know that Jesus died for our sins, we are saved. We want to have a relationship with our God. It's not just on Sunday, you know. We, we can go forth Monday through Saturday, have fellowship with God, talk to him, tell, us, tell him we have problems. Ask him for advice and the Lord will will help us. That's what he does. It's called the relationship. Uh, Unfortunately, religion, which we're going to see today, religion kind of clouds that and turns people off to God because it's supposed to be a representation of him. But oftentimes it's not. Not in Jesus' day, as we'll see, and unfortunately, a lot of times, not today. As a young person, I was also turned off by religion. Uh, I didn't, you know, thank God finally somebody showed me the truth And eventually, like I said, in my middle 20s, I received him as my Lord and Savior and my life completely changed. Uh, Today we're going to see uh, some parables. He's going to reveal in detail God's dissatisfaction with the spiritual leadership at the time. And we will also make an application for us today personally. Because everything in the scripture can be applied to us and we can take it home with us and we can claim it for ourselves. So let's start with verse 23. Says Now when he, Jesus, came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Some of the stuff, if you you were there, it probably was a little on the humorous side. I know I would probably smirk, you know, if if I saw this exchange between Jesus and the religious leaders. But let's look at this. In context, Jesus has already asserted himself as the Messiah, right? Now, they're the spiritual leadership. They didn't want to believe what, what he was saying because that would mean they would have to change how they did business. Well, there was a lot of corruption in the religious system. Um, he threw out the religious scam artists from the temple. Now, secular history, if you look at Josephus Flavius or Tacitus or any of these Roman historians, outside of the Bible, they will tell you that the religious system was corrupt. It wasn't just the Bible saying this. Uh, they were saying that the high priest at the time was part of the scam. When the people were getting ripped off, he would get a, a portion of, those, of that money. It corrupted them, okay? Uh, so Jesus kicks them out, he upsets their monetary scheme, and uh, he also curses the fig tree, which was an object lesson to Israel. And the entrenched, corrupt, comfortable religious system basically had the attitude of, what authority are you coming in here and doing this? Why are you upsetting the apple cart? Who told you that you could come in here and and start changing things? Now, I will say this, that at times, you may find yourself at odds with a religious, some of you may go home. Some of you may say, hey, you know, I'm really excited about the Lord. And some may, maybe even your peer group, make fun of you. Or um, you may have a problem with the way religion is done, and now you're freed because you're reading the Bible, you have a relationship with the Lord, but you're still getting pressure outside of that. Now we're blessed, I was blessed getting saved at a Calvary Chapel because a Calvary Chapel gives you the entire scripture. If you're with us long enough, we will have gone through the entire Bible. And I was actually blessed to find out that there are some that are listening to us in Ohio. uh, And there's a woman who is using the sermons to teach a women's group. So we may look at this and say, I don't have a problem with the religious system. I, I like the way things are here. But remember, a lot of people are listening and it could be applicable to somebody else who maybe got the cd or is listening on the website and they're stuck in an awful situation verse 24 is actually funny because typical rabbinical style jesus answers a question with a question they ask him a question he and his answer is with another question and i'm sure it ticked them off uh you answer me and then i'll answer your original question so, John the Baptist, you know him, the guy who was in Herod's prison, eventually he was killed. Was he from he- heaven or from man? Now this prompts the religious leaders, you can see them reasoning among themselves. So they, they confront Jesus, he asked them a question, now they caucus, they're having a little caucus. They're strategizing because the truth is, they left the harbinger out to dry. They left John the Baptist, who was, it was prophesied about in scripture, and he was gonna speak and pave the way for the Messiah, They left him hanging out to dry. Herod arrested him. He imprisoned him. He eventually kills him. Now, these guys could have used their influence to say to Herod, you know, the people love him. The guy's a prophet. Just, you know, let him go. We'll ask him to kind of keep quiet about your relationship, but they just let him be killed. Verse 25, John the Baptist, he had a baptism of repentance. So I'm just going to take a little soliloquy here, a little sidebar. His baptism was a baptism of repentance. Now let's look at this because repentance is really a change of mind that elicits a change in behavior. And it's not often heard today in American pulpits because it's not popular. If you're trying to build a megachurch, you don't want to offend anybody with sin or the cross or hell or certainly repentance. But repentance is very needful. And I'll tell you this, that even as your pastor, there are times that I know that I'm on the wrong track. I know I'm in the flesh and I'm not in the spirit and I just have to kind of go outside and just talk to God and say, you know what, Lord, I, I'm not doing well right now. I need you to work on my heart because I have attitudes or behaviors that are not pleasing to you. That's repentance, right? Working it out with the Lord and now making a, a concerted effort to change those behaviors. So bapt- or repentance is a good thing. You see, if we don't repent and we don't deal with our issues, what happens is we become self-deceived. And when we're self-deceived, we become at odds with the Lord and also those around us. And I'm sure if you've been a Christian long enough or you've been a non-believer, you've, I see some smiles, (laughs) you've eventually run into this situation and it's not a good thing. So repentance is actually a good thing to change that. Uh, The answer in verse 27 So he says, they asked Jesus a question, he asked them a question in response, and he says, so John's baptism, what's the story, guys? What do you think, from heaven or from men? Well, from spiritual leaders on spiritual matters, the answer is, we don't know. Imagine that. You know, These are the guys that everyone's supposed to be looking for, for advice on spiritual matters, and they don't have an answer. See, this is what happens when we don't have God's word, and we don't have God's Holy Spirit to counsel with. Then we just become flesh. And then when we're asked questions, no matter what position we're in, we don't have an answer for anyone. We don't have any wisdom. That's the best we can do. And I'll tell you this, if you've been a believer long enough, you've seen the interviews on Larry King. How many so-called Christian leaders does this man have to interview? They know the questions beforehand. Popular guys, whether it be Joel Osteen or um, T.D. Jakes or um, you know any of these Bill Hybels, Rob Bell, and they're asked questions. Is Jesus the only way? Now, I get grief sometimes because I'll say names from the pulpit, but I'm not slandering them because you know what I do? I go onto CNN.com and I look up transcripts and I get exactly what they say. So, is Jesus the only way? And the person responding, the leader goes, well, um, you know, <laughs> they put down everything, those transcribers. Well, they, they seem genuine. That's not the question he asked you. If you are not going to take God's authority as word, right, then don't do the interview. It's that simple because they make a fool of themselves on television. There is no wisdom outside of what God says in his word. The religious leaders were guilty of the same thing. What they did was they rejected the prophecies about John the Baptist. They rejected his message. They didn't want to repent. They rejected Jesus's message. So they went so far out of the word when they were confronted about a question, they didn't know how to answer. If we say yes, then we, we should have followed this guy. We should have at least tried to help him out. If we say no, the people will stone us because they all love John the Baptist. So they're in a quandary with no answers. Again, the highest authority, spiritual authority in the land, and they don't have an answer. And the truth is that we also will be a dry well. When the bucket is poured in and someone needs something from us, be, it'll just clank on the bottom. If we depart from the living waters, and someone tries to draw something from us, or we try to give forth, if we're not filled, we can't give to anyone else. It's like a little picture of a well. So we all want to help others, but we need to be grounded in the word, and we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus did answer them. It seems like he didn't, but he did, because the answer to his question was the answer to their question, right? They both came from heaven but they just didn't want to see it. Verse 28. This is great. I love the parables. Jesus says, but what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and he went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. That is astounding. Even for some today who have been in a religion for years and have not read the entire Bible, when they read that, they have to stop in their tracks. He continues, For John came to you, spiritual leaders, in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe. So I just want to say, if you've come into this building and you've never had experience with the Bible or the truth of God's word, boy, there's hope for you. There was hope for me. I was in the world too. I didn't deserve salvation. I don't deserve to be your pastor. That just shows how much grace God shows and is, he's willing to pour grace out on you. But you have to lay down your will and accept that free gift of salvation and that's where everything starts and it just gets better from there. So this is really a continuation of what we just read. Jesus tells them the truth about themselves through parables. Now, let's look at the two sons and let's make application not only to them, but make application to us. So the first son says no, but changes his mind and goes. The second son says yes, but he doesn't go. This is a picture of God the Father and two categories of people at the time. The outcasts who changed, they repented. And the spiritual leaders who refused to change. They were too stuck in their positions. They, it, was, it was too much of a pride issue, of a power issue. They didn't change. They refused. Now, this is important to understand. Number one, he regretted. This happened in the mind. And he went. This was a behavior. Right? So if you really believe, and again, this is repentance. If you really believe something and you want to change, The neurons that we talked about before in the brain will start firing and your feet will move and you'll do the obedient thing, whether to God or to what he has you do. Now, there are plenty that regret. I'm sorry, I'm remorseful, and then they don't do anything about it. Congratulations, if that's you, you're like Judas, because that's what Judas did. He was, I believe he was very sorry for selling Jesus out. It's clear he threw the money at the feet of the guys who gave him the money. And he went out and he hanged himself. Now, Peter also betrayed Jesus, but he truly repented. He went out and he was a part of building the church. He wasn't overcome with guilt or pride or how can I face the rest of the disciples? He did what God... Listen, repentance is tough. When you truly repent, you've got to eat crow. You know what I'm saying? It's not an easy thing. Been there many times. It's tough, but it's the right thing to do. Amen? (laughs) Amen. Verse 30, the second son says, I go, sir. It sounds more effective with an English accent. (laughs) The word is kurios, which can mean Lord or master. I go, master. I go, Lord. Very nice terms to say to his father, but it was just lip service. There was no action to follow. It's clear he didn't go. And there are some even today that say, well, I don't care if someone talks about me behind my back. I just don't want them to say nice things to my face. That's phony, and that's not what God wants. He wants it not to just be from the lips. He wants it to be from the heart, right? To transcend our total being, which will translate in actions and behaviors, okay? So the two sons, let's look at our application. Some of us may be the first son. Some of us may be a second son, don't know. But it's certainly better to be the first son by far. Um, You see, Matthew 7 Jesus says, again, another one of those scriptures. That's why the Bible is so powerful. Every once in a, I mean, it's all God's word. But every once in a while, you run into one of these scriptures that stops you in your tracks. Matthew 7 is one of those scriptures. He says, now, to those who claim to be believers, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? He says, some will come to me and say, I prophesied in your name. I've cast out demons in your name. Yes, the name of Jesus is very powerful. And some have handled it and uh, done incredible things with it. But Jesus is clear. He says, I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. Wow. Imagine that. Seeing the Lord and he says, depart from me. I never knew you. These spiritual leaders were not being obedient to the Lord. They were loving themselves. They weren't loving God. Some will say, but God, I wore the cross that my grandmother gave me. Some will say, look, look at my attendance record. I had Pastor Joe type it up real quick. I was there every Sunday. You know, that's not what does it. It's not the attendance. It's not what you wear. It has to be from the heart. It can't be a facade. It can't be a thin veneer on the outside with a a pretty picture over it. Jesus calls that a whitewashed tomb. Sunday Christians... Some will leave the building and leave their Christianity on the pews and they'll go outside. Now listen, there's many preachers out there that'll give you a very uplifting positive feeling on a Sunday morning. I don't know where in the Bible it says that we're entitled to that. You know, sometimes it just it is what it is. It 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 says what it says, and we can't candy coat it or whitewash it. You know, I've even said this, you know, um, about social media sites. And we have, for those of you, our Facebook account for the church. I encourage you, you can get a lot of information on our Facebook account for the church, things that are going on in a moment's notice. We can put something up there the day before, a few days before. So it's really a good thing. But what about our social media sites in person? And I've often said this Facebook is a reflection of who you are. Why? because it says, the little cursor blinks, and it says, what's on your mind? I hate that person, you know what I'm saying? Um, That jerk owes me money. (laughs) So, what is, seriously, what are these social media sites when we look at them, objectively? What do they reflect about us? And if we're believers, would anybody know that we're a believer? It's a good question to ask ourselves. Okay, so continuing on, um, the religious leaders put on a show, and... You know, hopefully it doesn't happen with God's people, but it's definitely something that can be convicting. Verse 31, he says, Tax collectors and harlots get into heaven before the spiritual leaders. Again, powerful. Stop you in your tracks, type of scriptures, and offensive to many. Number one, tax collectors. Let me give you a few synonyms. These guys were thieves, they were robbers, they were liars, and they were traitors. All right? Uh, two, the second group, harlots. Well, that's a nice name for what we know. In the Greek, the word is porne, which in English we get pornography from. So, prostitutes, whores, homewreckers. Can I get any more explicit here? Can Jesus get any more explicit with what he's saying here? That's how much he despises phoniness and a facade. He wants our hearts. He wants all of us, right? It's very important. And this is why the first group could get in before the second group. I watched the movie. It was very clean. I don't know what the play was like, but the movie was clean. How many of you saw Les Miserables with Liam, Liam Neeson? More of you should watch it. Uh, really a picture and an understanding of grace. Uh, two of the most godly characters in the whole movie were actually a prostitute and a thief. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you can see the, the grace that God did in, in the initial act of grace that was shown to the man who came out of prison, the, the ex-con, and from that gracious act, it was an amazing uh, display how he affected so many others with that grace, all right, and they, they completely repented. They turned their lives around, and I'll say this, that this scripture is hard for some to swallow because even today in the Christian community, when it's entrenched and it's... it's um, you know, the the attitude is attitude of superiority, some in the Christian community will look down on these types of people and they will continue to look down. They'll come to Bible-believing churches, love the messages, and they will still have that feeling of disdain for others. And God doesn't look at them like that. You know, God says, I want everybody to come into my kingdom. Now, let me encourage you if you're part of the first group. Number one is better than being part of the second group. And I would say that if you've gone astray or backslidden... God loves it. The Bible says that the angels rejoice when son, one sinner comes to repentance. Right? Let's be clear. There, do has to be, there does have to be an attitude of repentance starts in the mind and eventually translates into the actions. I just want to say one more thing uh, regarding this. Self-righteous behavior. And again, I think it needs to be addressed. We could either be, Jesus said, that he was, even as a young boy in the temple, he said, I have to be about my father's business. We could be, either be in God's business or we can be in the God business. Sounds very similar, but miles apart. Are we in God's business or are we in the God business? Legalism is another thing again, the entrenched, we start making rules now, Uh, the Bible's not enough, we have to start micromanaging what everyone does in their lives, and it becomes strangulating. And I've met some of you that have come from places like that, and it sucked the spiritual life out of you. When I get up in the morning, God gave me a a pretty good-sized brain in my head, and I see a black shirt or a blue shirt or whatever color pants, he allows me the freedom to say blue, black, or green. Everything doesn't have to be a rule in the church, okay? That's what legalism does. He gave us a big brain to make simple decisions. What legalism does is goes beyond what's written in the scripture, and it starts to constrain, constrict and, and squeeze the life out of you. And that's not what we're looking for here. Verse 33. Jesus says, "Here another parable. There was a certain land owned, landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now, when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. And he sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then, last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, "They will respect my son." But when the vine dressers saw the son, they had said among themselves, "This is the heir. Come, let us kill him." And seize his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, Now remember, he's still speaking to uh, at least part of them are the religious leaders. And they answer him. They say, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits of their season. Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruit of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. You can see Isaiah 5, Isaiah 51 gives some pictures of Israel as this vineyard. Um, you know, definitely it has some uh, foundation in the Old Testament, but who are, the, who are the personifications? Number one, the landowner that's an easy one that's God. The vineyard is the nation of Israel or those that need to be shepherded. By God's under shepherds that he puts out there. Why? Because there is a paradigm shift in verse forty-one, where now the vineyard changes hands. Right? And we see that the Gentiles are a part of this now. The vine dressers, they were spiritual leaders of the nation. The servants were the prophets. Just so you know, in 2 Chronicles 36, in the Old Testament, the history of Israel chronicles chronicles the degradation of the spiritual. Uh, system in Israel you know there was a a constant cycle with Israel where they would God would do these great things he would restore them and then they would have prosperity and then they would uh, start getting sinful and then they would plummet into idolatry and all kinds of bad stuff and then he would have to punish them and discipline them because he loved them and then they would repent and come and you would see this cycle so this happened a few times and the son of course is the Christ came to give them a chance at redemption and the fruit we spoke of last Sunday fruit is the manifestations of your life here it was the spiritual fruit of the nation of Israel so these are all the, the pieces now we have everything behind the symbols and we go into this verse 38 here's in, and something interesting is that they wanted to seize the son's inheritance religious leaders did this with John the Baptist they got rid of John they were happy that Herod took him uh, he wasn't telling them to repent anymore they could continue business as usual They saw the son, they saw Jesus, and he was a problem too to them. He was in their way, so they were really happy to get him out of the way as well. And they thought they could continue these positions of theirs. However, in 70 AD, if you know your history, that all changed. The Romans came, attacked Jerusalem, tore down the wall, uh, destroyed the temple, and the whole system was was done. And these religious leaders now had nothing. So God wasn't going to allow it to continue. But what's really sad today is you can see doctrine change. Now, doctrine is something that um, the doctrine of God, right? He's God. He's everlasting. He's omniscient. The doctrine of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The doctrine of Jesus as deity, as God in the flesh, as the Son, right? Um, Sometimes over the years, over the centuries, doctrine starts to change. Although it never did change, but men change it based on what's going on around them, right? The rapture the understanding that the Lord at any time could come back and take his people before the earth is, uh, plunges into punishment. Right? Pretty much it's that simple. Rapture, the doctrine of the rapture has always been the Apostle Paul, right, all throughout the scripture, it's under attack. Why? Because there's this idea out there, especially in Western Christianity, that we, the church, can change the world, that we're going to make everything better, that we're going to fix all the problems in the world. So that we're going to make it palatable for the Lord to come back. So basically, we determine eschatological events or the, or the study of end times. Not true. But you see doctrine change. As a matter of fact, that was very popular just before World War I. After World War I and World War II, they realized that the world's pretty messed up and men are sinful. So it went away for a while. Now it's starting to come back again. right? So the... the sometimes the religious system or the spiritual leaders change their mind based on what they want to see or what's going on around them. Verse 41. What's interesting is, do you realize that they said with their own words what the, the landowner would do to those wicked men? He would destroy them. So out of their own lips, they're, they're categorizing themselves. Right? They're already speaking of the judgment that they're going to receive. Um, but what was interesting was they were so steeped in sin that they couldn't see the truth, right? They're answering Jesus's question, and they're indignant about that, those bad people that they're going to get there, so they didn't realize that it was, they were the ones who Jesus was speaking about. Now, sometimes uh, we can hold things in, in our hearts, like when we're steeped in sin, we can hold on to things, and we don't realize that we're we're messed up. We don't realize, we don't see what other people see. We don't realize that our fellowship with God has been broken and this is what happened with these men. So Jesus says, yeah, you you said it right, and that's you, that's you guys. And you know what, even for us as believers, there's sometimes if we're involved in a sin or we're involved in something we shouldn't be involved in, we don't realize it. And then maybe the fact that others won't come and rebuke us because they realize we're so entrenched in it that they're just wasting their breath And we still think, now we're more emboldened. We think, hey, I must be great. No one ever tells me I do anything wrong. But the the truth is, we may be so entrenched in it that even others around you who love you and are close to you don't feel comfortable about coming to you because you're not going to listen to it. And that's what happened with these guys. So it'll affect our relationships with others and it'll affect our relationship with the Lord. And every once in a while we have to step back and look at our situation and ask the Lord to open our eyes to what we're not seeing. 43. So basically what Jesus is saying is that the privileges that were afforded to the nation of Israel now are going to be opened up to the Gentiles, which actually, if we look around in this church, a lot of us have been afforded those privileges because most of us aren't from Jewish ethnicity. So that was really merciful of God. He opened it up to the Jews and the Gentiles. Everyone can come in and be saved. Everyone can come into the kingdom. Now, imagine the gall of these guys to really get angry and take issue with what Jesus said because they didn't like God's option. Well, this is what God says, yeah, but I want a third option. Now, we're not talking about the atheists. We're talking about the spiritual leaders, and that's a problem. To give to the Gentiles, no way. They were furious, The Apostle Paul started a riot by speaking the spiritual truth because there was an ethnic hatred at the time for the Gentiles, they're like, this is crazy. They, they, they went mad. They went bonkers. But the truth is, this is what happens. And folks, let's not let this happen to us. What happens is the people of God start to stagnate. You know, if you're following with us on Wednesday night, you know, we're doing the study of the Old Testament, the history of Israel. We saw that the people of God started to become haughty. They started to look down their nose at the Gentiles. They started to become lifted up with pride. And they figured they could do no wrong. And their pride brought them to such a a bad place that the Lord had to humble them. As people of God, that can also happen to us. Everything that we see in the scripture, we have to make an application to our own lives. Otherwise, we're not getting anything out of God's word. Now, this is interesting too, because even today, if you start going on some of these websites and ministries, the, the, the possibility that the privileges will largely leave the church after the rapture, and be afforded to the Jews in the end times, right? Times in our future, has some in our community upset. They don't want to believe that. But remember, the last week, for those of you who are more advanced, the last week of Daniel hasn't happened yet. The 69 weeks occurred, 483 years, to the Messiah, the Prince, and then he was cut off. And then the church age and the age of the Gentiles kind of took that gap. But there's one more period of seven days, which is the great tribulation which is going to come upon the earth. But guess who in seven years is going to take the forefront? The Jewish people. Because remember, the prophecy was to the Jews back in Daniel's prophecy. So pretty wild stuff. But many today are offended by that possibility. Again, it's that same, now we've become entrenched, and we start to look down our nose at someone that the Lord may be using in the future that we don't particularly like, and we can't do that. We can't do it. So... We, we have to look at this even as believers and sometimes if we're honest with ourselves there's some portion of scripture that rub us the wrong way doesn't matter how old in the Lord we are doesn't matter how long we've been working there are some things in the scripture that some bristle at and they're really not happy about that portion of scripture verse 44 and this is this is where I'm going to kind of close it out remember we spoke about the cornerstone I did a little illustration last Sunday about that that very important piece. Jesus was the cornerstone. And the Bible tells us that we are like spiritual stones that build that spiritual house in 1 Peter 2. So to have Jesus as the cornerstone, here's three different, um, let's look at three different examples here. Number one, the cornerstone. If Jesus is our cornerstone, everything makes sense. Our house is in order. Our foundation is strong. And we sit atop that foundation that Jesus has built. That's the right place to be. Now Jesus says this, you can either fall on the stone and be broken or whomever the stone falls on will grind him to powder. Now that word powder is a picture of chaff when they would uh, take the weed and throw it up with the winnowing fork and the, the chaff, the unusable part would separate from the good part and the wind would just blow it away just to kind of go all over and be scattered and, and just destroyed. That's how bad this looks if the stone falls on you. So let's look at the second part. So we have the cornerstone, that's the right frame of mind too. The stone falls on us and we become broken. And I did ask permission to use this. (laughs) So there's a young lady in our fellowship who has a tattoo on the base of her neck and it says B-R-O-K-E-N. And whenever I look at that tattoo, it stops me in my tracks because it's a powerful word and it's a powerful concept to be broken. You see, in our country, we're so adverse to failure. We're so af- uh, adverse to losing, because it doesn't go with Western, uh, the mindset, because we, we have to live the American dream. We have to get everything we want. And we, we kind of don't want that part of what may be part of the human experience, especially as believers, but it's not true. I wouldn't look down on anybody right now who was being broken, who needed to repent, Who was just feeling that you know the Lord is allowing them to be stretched that is a good thing failure is good and a lot of times through failure we become better so to be broken let me switch gears for a minute the martial artists purposely break their bones in their hands and their arms and their wrists now it does lead to arthritis (laughs) but what actually happens is this if you ever looked at um, images of the bones they're porous it's like sponge in the middle right? They're not, they're not completely solid through and through. When you break a bone, every time you break it and you get a fracture or a hairline fracture or a you know, compound break and it gets reset, do you know that the, that the body, this is amazing how God designed the body, it sends minerals into that area and it floods it with minerals and glue and it makes that crack because that's a weak link. It makes it actually stronger than the rest of the bone and a lot of that porosity is gone. So martial artists do this so that their hands can become more dense and they become more solid. And they can do amazing things with their hands. You've seen some of the breaking of the bricks. It's, it's unbelievable. When we're broken spiritually, when we fall on, on the sun, and, and we, we, we're going through life and we're messing up and we're, we're not getting it right and we, we just fall on him and we break, that's a good thing. Because he will build you back better than you were before. Right? Allow the breaking process don't fight it. <laughs> and listen, I got to tell myself that because I've been there. I'm like, Lord, I, you know, you said to pray and, and everything will be fine. So by tomorrow, I want to be better. You know, it doesn't always work like that. It could take uh, months. It could take years. So let the Lord break you if you need to be broken, but then come back and get the right framework and then be settled on him as the cornerstone and the right foundation. It is good for us to understand our own mortality and our own frailty. It is good. Now, third, nobody wants to be here. This is where the stone, if it falls on you, if you're continuing to be rebellious and willful, if you continue uh, discarding and, and trampling on God's overtures of love towards you, and you die in that state, there is a hell. You will be ground to powder. There will be nothing left of you. You will be blown away like the wind. It's not a good thing. Daniel 2, 34 through 35 is a great picture of this. You know, the Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the metal man. You know, the, the head of gold and the, the chest of silver and the thighs of bronze and the, the legs of stone. Oh, no, no, not stone iron, thank you. (laughs) I walked away from my notes too quickly. Uh, But the bottom line is he says that a a, a rock, a, a huge stone uncut with human hands will come and bowl over that thing and destroy it. That is a picture of really what's going to happen in the end times, right? God is eventually going to destroy the kingdoms of the earth and set up his own kingdom. And if you're still stuck in those old kingdoms, because you like the partying life and you like the, you know, making all the money and, and none of those things are bad in themselves depending on how hard you party but the problem is that if we reject the Lord and we're so entrenched in what this world has just like Lot's wife and Sodom and Gomorrah she didn't want to leave then what's going to happen is eventually you're going to be destroyed with those kingdoms that's not what I want to see for anybody here so keep that in mind so, Let's go back and let's look at the good part of this. Let's look at the encouraging portion of this. We saw a lot of categorizing here today. And we have to ask ourselves, what category am I in? Number one, am I self-righteous? Am I a self-deceived religious person? Do I look down on others? Do I have a facade of being in the Christian culture, but my heart is not really there? Am I a make-believer? Even worse, do I want to face the Lord in judgment? If he came back today, would he say, I know you, and give me a big hug and say, we've had plenty of good talks together? Or would he say, and it's like God doesn't have, (laughs) I've heard this, God doesn't have Alzheimer's. It's not like, I don't remember you, I don't know you, I just, the face, I just can't make the connection. It's that he never had a relationship with you, right? And being ground to powder by him. Or, should we, we should, Can we come to grips with our own mortality, our own sin, our own failures, our own frailty? Change and do something about it. It's time. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe up to this point, some of us have been the second son, giving lip service to the Lord, and that's it. Well, it may fool a lot of people in the church, but it's not going to fool God. It breaks his heart. Or, I want to encourage you, with a move of your will, with a move of laying down your pride, Will you take the step and come and lay down your will at the cross? Leave your baggage there and follow him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord.